Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Oliver Jones, and my able co-host, Ed Stevens. This conversation is with Rod Beer. Rod is the CEO of the UK Business Angels Association. The UK BAA is the National Trade Association representing the interests of business angels and the early stage investment space. The mission is to connect the angel investment ecosystem into a coherent landscape for financing high potential entrepreneurs. Rod talks through his experiences as an investor, how that led to his current role, and why the work they're doing at the UK BAA is so important for the future of our industry and our country. So without further ado, we bring you Rod Beer. Good afternoon, everybody. We are joined today by Roderick Beer, Managing Director of the UK BAA and long-term friend of AIN. So it's delightful to have you on, Rod. Hi, guys. Lovely to be here. So just to get some context, because we've been around the industry for, for a while now, um, how did it all begin for you? I mean, it happened a, a long time ago. I think I was pretty much born into this kind of uh, industry. So about 30 years ago, my dad... David Beer founded the first angel group in the UK. For a long time, it was probably the dominant angel group in the UK for many, many years. I joined there and started when I was 18 and, and worked in there for, he, he passed away about two years in, but then I carried on about six years after that as well into in angel investing, organizing group, deploying about 10 million per annum into early stage companies across the UK. Big focus around more kind of physical technology. So this was, this was when I was doing it probably 15 years ago. So this is kind of pre-tech explosion in London. So it was kind of more life sciences stuff and more and more traditional forms of funding. So it's kind of started out there, I guess, I guess as a, as a beginning for me. Yeah, and then you you went on from Beer and Partners, didn't you, to, was it the Ideas Factory? Yeah, so it was all about um, Ideas Factory, which is now Shadow Founder and still, still doing some really good stuff. They are kind of like online investing, really. It's all about bringing together great in, great investors um, to support, again, early stage companies. So I did about two years of those guys, and it was really interesting to learn how and where and the shift and how online investing can actually work because Beer and Partners was very traditional. It was all individual investors deploying directly into companies. At that, at that time as well, which might bring you some context into this world of online investing, the average investment per investor per deal was £86,000. I remember doing it, which mm. is... Across the board, it's now about 20K, so it's gone down by almost four times since we were investing. So it's very much to see that kind of online process and the kind of way that you can actually galvanize and excite and engage with investors with a, with a fantastic startup was really interesting for me. Is that because there's a more diverse group of people investing now? Yeah, it's it a people huge... with much larger pools of capital to deploy. I think it was, so there's been a number of reasons where I think the industry has really changed and grown. And it, it actually kind of exploded, I guess, in the last you know, I guess the last decade. Basically when I joined. Basically when Ed joined, yeah, yeah. Uh, things turned for the <laughs> worst. <laughs> for, oh, no, for the best, yeah, for well, the best, there's the more best. of them, but it wasn't <laughs> the best, but no. No, I think um, what, what really changed it was a, a number of things. EIS and SEIS have always been a really strong galvanizer to get people to want to invest. It's a fantastic tax break. Mm. SEIS came out, I think, when it was it? Oh, it was EIS 12. first. EIS first was 25 yeah. years ago, so I went to their anniversary dinner, but it was um, 12 years, um, I think it was 12 years ago. They have an anniversary dinner for EIS, so they just they do it ruminate any, on They had the 25-year anniversary dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Every year it's the anniversary. Yet another year of EIS, hurrah. Was, um, Cla- was Claudia Winkleman there? Claudia Winkle- it was Roy Bremner. It was okay. not Claudia. Okay. Claudia Winkleman was last night. Um, <laughs> no, Roy Bremner, actually. He was really good. He was really, uh, really impressive. Was but, Michael Portello there? No, he was not. Because no. wasn't he the... Mm, he was in government in charge of that role when they introduced EIS, I think. Interesting. Well, presumably it wasn't always just for, for startup-related investments. I guess it was just a, an incentive for uh, SMEs of sorts, but not quite... Enterprise. It's, enterprise. It's, it's, the spirit of it is about investing yes. into enterprising businesses, so everything from SMEs and more developed businesses, but to the traditional startup. But I mean, I guess back to the to why did it grow, EIS and SES, obviously the massive tax break has been a huge benefit and kind mm. of and interested people. But uh, things like Dragon's Den, I mean, as, as unrealistic as it is, in my view, and it is unrealistic from, from reality, it's put it in every single household. Everyone knows about angel investing, well, they call it dragon investing, obviously, but... It's a bit of a shame that, that there is a separation of... of Acknowledgement, because sometimes yeah. like people go, "What do you do?" And I go, "Work with angel investments," and there's not immediately the no. penny drop. Do we moment. say, "Oh, you know, Dragon's Den"? It's yes. basically that, but they're not dragons; they're actually angels. So that's exactly. the, yeah, that's how I do it as well. It was really interesting when they first did the series, the very first series. They actually came to Beer and Partners when I was there oh. to say, "Hey, look, we want to find some great companies to put in front of investors." And we're like, "Okay, great. We know those are really good businesses who are fundraising." And they were just like, they weren't interested in a single one of them because they were all good 
credible. They could stand up and do a good tour. You know, they wouldn't crumble in front of pressure. They wouldn't mm. kind of muck up. It wasn't something weird and bizarre. So they just yeah. weren't interested. They're just like, no, 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 thanks. But do you think they docked the applications so that they get a good narrative out of each show? Yeah, hugely. I yes. mean, they will do, absolutely. And I know, I do know, although anecdotally, I suppose, that a lot of the companies who get the funding don't actually receive the money because it falls down at heads of terms or at DD or whatever. Right. So it is, in reality, it's good TV, but it's, it's TV. So in reality, it's not <laughs> reality. Yeah, or well, as you say, it, it yeah. enabled us to but it the was, discussion. But it, it, it started the, the, the conversation. People understood that there is the ability to raise money from individual investors, which is really interesting. I guess another big thing and a big shift is, you know, the, the, the growth and rise of, of people like Crowdcube and Cedars yep. and other online investment platforms and Asian Investment Network, of course. It's been, it's again, it's put it into people's homes. I mean, they're advertising on the tube, for goodness sake. I have my own views as to whether I think retail investors and less experienced investors should be deploying. I don't think they really should. I think you should be quite careful about things. But, but at the end of the day, it's made investing incredibly easy. It's made investing, again, open to pretty much anyone that wants to get involved subject to trendy it. as well it is yeah it's cool i mean you can put you know 20 quid into a brewery and talk about it daniel with your mates on the pub i mean the chances of you getting a return that 20 quid is 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 very very low even if they do exit they may not even be a return so but it's but it's it, again it's raise awareness of it i think it yeah be really interesting mm. i completely agree that the the one thing i noticed from joining in 2010 to maybe 2014 15 was that yeah, people wouldn't expose themselves to the same level of risk per investor because there's probably more deal choice, as you say, as well. So you see more things that you like, but people would be going at 100 grand, 200 grand at a time. Yeah, I mean, which and, international yeah. investors still do, but yeah. UK investors don't. And it's less common because they have, I mean, we've got a lot more variety. I mean, you can look at, I can go online right now and look at, you know, I can actually right now invest in 200 different companies across, you know, from all across the UK. I could, why do I need to put 100 grand into one? One of the things that forced that kind of 100, why it was bigger investments and minimum investments were 25K, et cetera, was partly because of actually the cost of legals. So the cost of legals has come down significantly. It used to be a minimum of 5, 10, 15K to close a funding round, regardless of how big or small that funding round was. You had escrow, you had all the documentation on both sides of the, of the, of the fence as well to look at. And so, Again, lawyers' fees have become a lot lower. They're a lot easier. Then I've got things like C Legals who are mm. who are automating and digitizing that process in an amazing way. And I think um, it's it's again actually made it financially viable for a company to raise um, nominee structures, etc. Um, to make it financially viable for a company to raise smaller amounts for more investors. Um, yeah, I just I just did a funding round. It cost me fifteen hundred quid on C Legals. Done. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean it's, it's and that's something you couldn't do. I remember back in, again beer and partners days. We um, working with what was Nabara Nathanson, the now um, the now CMS, but Graham Stedman, who was the the partner, the the the, the lead at the time. We put together a, a pre-packaged legal deal where you pay five k and you get all of your legal work done. And actually, if you don't raise the money, you don't pay that fee. Actually, it was a kind of a no win, no fee thing. So yeah. we kind of pioneered a a low cost, and that was but that's three times more than what you've yeah. just paid for a deal yeah. which is done all the way through. So And it's heavily automated even then, as well. And that's in and you know, how old am I? I'm young now. That's probably what that was probably ten years ago we did that. So in ten years it's come down three times mm. and actually it's it, it's it's significantly easier and quicker. So things have just changed massively and made it easier. And what was your opinion on the, there was a point where there was just a flood of ideas. It's particularly around the time I think when people still were building is. apps. There still is. I mean it's it's but then there's that particular, yeah. I mean, there was it was one time where it was like everybody yeah. just left what they were doing because the because building an app was cheap and easy, and there were still specifically lots of, dating apps. Everyone was building a dating app. Oh, yeah. Everyone now it's recruiting apps a thing now. Actually, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, how it changes, but um, I think it was similar sized market. It was overwhelming yeah. a little bit because it's kind of like, well, I actually. It was also quite early. So, what were the success stories around this market? There weren't any. So, it was all mm. quite all quite risky. And what's actually yeah. happening and going on? For, from from my perspective, um, our background at beers was was very much kind of like we, we didn't do a lot in the digital space. Mm -hmm. um, we actually did a lot more around life sciences, green tech. We did a lot more around some re some retail stuff as well, some FMCG. Um, um, but we did, although we did do obviously some some, some tech. It would be more it would be more you know, enterprise SaaS would be more interesting for us. And, and I think that probably still hangs true now. To a lot I of think investors. I think so. I think it's almost going back that way it's yeah, like we've, we've yeah. bottomed out the consumer market and realized that the the uk consumer market is exciting but it's not that exciting it's not us levels of exciting we're anywhere yeah. even close and therefore a lot of the b2c propositions are well they started getting smaller investment tickets but they're giving way to enterprise technology or people who come out of industry or life sciences with something really high spec just because it might be relevant to what we discuss later but how did beer and partners work was it were you just connecting um, individuals with deals, or was it a sort of syndication process? 
a bit of both. I mean, it was a traditional, it was the first angel network. So we'd know and meet and work with lots and lots of investors. We then, we then work and, and meet lots of great companies starting or growing a business and then work to make the two come together. Um, and you would take a sort of a brokerage? A commission, yeah, a brokerage, brokerage commission, commission okay. kind of average, which is still the industry standard now, really, it's 5% yeah. um, in finder's fee, really. Um, so it's pretty straightforward as a model. And we work quite hard to build ad hoc syndicates across investors. So it wouldn't just be one group of investors always investing together. We'd be finding lots of different investors, placing a lead as part of a deal, um, and then making sure um, that other investors come in alongside them as well. We probably did, we did about 10 million a year, we probably did it for about, for about 50 companies. So so decent kind of average ticket size, decent average kind of amount raised mm. number for number of companies too. Um, we, you know, we were successful only half the time roughly. We're probably yeah. 50% success rate, which I always see as generally the industry average. Anyone above, a 50% rate of being able to close out a deal is doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, being very selective or is, yeah. Or the definition of, of being successful could be a very yeah. small ticket now. You could I just mean, get a quick 20K in and call yeah, that having successfully we raised. We didn't, I mean, we never did that. We, yeah. we you close around because, it, so back back then, yeah. I mean, oh God, I actually sound like I'm really old. I'm actually only uh, in my early 30s, but I sound <laughs> like I'm really, really old. But back in the day, um, there was, where was that collaboration? There wasn't that cross collaboration. It was beer and partners were the, the the largest angel group. There were probably only two, a handful beneath us, and they were half the, less than half the size. And so, how would you get a? How would you then go out and get other funding for across a, across another deal? Yeah. If I raise twenty five k here now, well, where's the other four hundred and seventy five? Yeah. Where's that coming from? Yeah. Um, and it was a it was a much less developed ecosystem as well back there. So it's even harder to find investors, which is why kind of beers I guess stuck out quite a bit. Did you have so, good so, so we, so we close? Yeah, we close. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the thing that sometimes we've experienced is that every three to five years we'll have a very different pool of investors whereas I imagine back in those days you, you no, kept the same guys no you, well you did but investors burnt this is the thing this is, this is an issue as a trade body well I guess we'll come on to UKB a bit in a bit the, one of the issues people, people just invest too much too soon they don't take it easy they don't always keep hang back with more money so we had you know great investors who are really loyal but once you've invested your money you're not investing again you're done yeah. you know often from an investment point of view it's high risk stuff and so they think well I'm going to put you know, quite a bit into my into this, into this de-risk fund. I'm going to put some money into that. I'm going to do some property, do some 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 renewables, some whatever. Um, and I'm going to save a little nest egg to do some stuff around venture because it's really fun and I like to get involved. And then once that's used up, it's it's gone, and they won't yeah. they won't they're not they're just sitting back and waiting for returns. And I think that was an even bigger issue back in back then when the minimum investment per investor per deal was really high. It meant that they would be putting their money, say you got half a million to drop, they'd be putting it into to you know, ten companies and or maybe even less, sometimes like five companies, which is great. But actually, you need to have a portfolio of ten to fifteen to get mm. the returns in on average to really hit the star performers as well. So, um, as a bare minimum, so it wasn't really it was even harder for them to get returns in a way. Well, um, it stops a follow-on allocation for them because what you need is once your front runner is doing well, then you need the the extra capital to back it. To accelerate and increase your returns across the board, yeah, absolutely, you have to. Which again, and we we did have a lot of investors doing a lot of follow-on funding as well, which was great. But we found, generally speaking, I mean, it's not angel investment that you guys aren't doing anything wrong. It's just the fact that investors, they invest within the first couple of years. I think the issue that we used to see a lot, and it's something that I'm really keen to to stop people doing, is the, I call it the first year burnout. They come in, they get excited, they drop all their investment in the first year, and they sit back and wait for returns. You know, EIS, you know, it's now eligible after three years for exit. They go, oh, where's my three-year exit? kind of thing mm. it happens a lot more with those investing who are less professional investing so you might see some of that um, online as of those who are, who are less experienced at investing um, but it's a, it's an issue because you know you should be taking it's not a it's not a sprint it's a it's a marathon it's mm. a long-term yeah. thing exits seven to seven plus year I mean you'd be lucky to get an exit in seven years yeah. to be honest um, did you did you get many exits yeah we did have quite a few over the, over the period of time yeah we did absolutely um, but nothing cool that you would have heard of because it wasn't in consumer-facing digital yeah. tech. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sciences. In fact, but they get some so, huge exits. They also have. I mean, well, that's what I kind of say that the original unicorns, right? I mean, they they're doing. You know, you keep you hear all, this, all the digital tech unicorns. Life science, the original. I would say they have a very long gestational period. Yep. Some of the companies that we raised money for at beers ten years ago are still raising money in quite popular platforms now. I see them and go, well, actually, I've got, we've got, I've got shares in those guys. Yeah. Still, I've got options in those guys. They're still going around because it takes so long to commercialize. Um, their IP, um, yeah. which is interesting to see that that ten years on, and I'm still seeing beer and partners deals knocking about, doing <laughs> doing some good stuff. That's the that's the the pension pot, right, for you? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we sold. We actually well, we sold out. Actually, we sold out most of them. We got a few bits and bobs here and there, but um, we actually sold out the family business. So we, the, the family. We owned about sixty percent of the business, um, and then we sold it out to to Luke Johnson of Risk Capital Partners, the, the yeah. um, Pizza Express. Um, 
um, of Pizza Express, Strada, etc. fame. Um, so which actually sold out to him many, many years ago. Um, I continued for about a year or two after that and then, then moved on to, to Ideas Factory. Is it still going? No, there's still some doing stuff. So mm. there's a few splinters of the old Beer and Partners group still doing things together. And I actually later joined one of those sub-splinters called Rafina Capital after Ideas Factory, oh, right. who were boutique corporate finance house, all about raising for kind of half a million, but no- normally that kind of Series A stage. And they're still doing great. I was their COO. We, we built a platform. It was really, they're still going to do some really good stuff. And, and it's really exciting what those guys are doing. They're, they're moving up from, from angel investing now more into Series A and, and placing really good deals. And how did you find yourself managing the UKBAA? So I joined, so I left Rafina and joined UKBAA about three years ago and, and worked to really help, I guess, grow and build a community and support that community. It was kind of a little bit of poacher turned gamekeeper situation there, mm. going from, from corporate finance into, into trade body. But I absolutely love that shift. For me, it was fantastic. It was your job is to help build and grow the ecosystem for everyone to help them all benefit from it. So I really enjoyed that, actually. And worked from there really... Um, you know, I guess I'm a young lad, but had at the time 12, 13 years of experience in angel and early stage investing. Because um, you started from 18. I started from when I was 18. Yeah. You know, straight into then worked all the way through for that period. And although I may not have 80, I didn't have 15 years of experience because you don't have, you know, you had a lot, you get a lot of experience um, in doing that. Probably not full 15 years because if it's the same thing for two or three years, you're not getting experience. But yeah. um, but no, it was it was quite a while. And so just really, I guess taking. I guess my relationships, contacts, and, and background into into the trade body to help really build around a lot more focus and supporting angels and angel groups as well. Because yeah. I think running, growing, and starting an angel group is, as Ed, as you guys will know, is incredibly hard. Um, we've now got seventy angel group members. We had a lot less when I joined. We've helped formed quite a few as well um, because they're important. Uh, and one of our big things at UKBAA is that if you're investing in early stages you must be investing as part of a group, never on your own. Again, it's that one-year burnout. Yeah. Get in there, start investing, and then leave it. You should be part of a team, part of a group, investing across a larger number of deals over a longer period of time. And, and can we, at this point, just to anybody who isn't clear on what it is, define the <laughs> yeah. UKBAA just yeah. in terms of how you give like a, a very short synopsis of it? Yeah, so UKBA stands for the UK Business Angels Association, slips off the tongue. Uh, my email address is the longest in the world. Um, <laughs> but it's basically with a trade body for early stage investing. So our job really is to help support all those that are deploying capital at early stages, but also those who help them looking for funding too. So we work with accelerators, incubators, universities, government agencies, um, but our big focus is around supporting the investor community. So that's individual investors, uh, angel groups, online investment platforms like you guys and, yep. and many others besides, um, but also um, early stage VCs, EIS funds, SCS funds, anyone that's kind of putting cash into companies at pre and post series A is our role. And as a trades body, does that mean you're government backed? No, we're not, we're completely independent. So, so what do you are, mean trades body then? Trade body, you, you represent the association, so our job really is to help. So what does it, yeah, what does it mean? Um, what it means is it's our duty, I guess, and our role. We're actually a membership organization. So we're run for and by the members. Um, we're not for profit, we're limited by guarantee. We have no government funding other than the occasional project we might deliver on behalf of government on a on a procured basis. We don't actually get some core funding to help us thrive and grow. Um, so we're totally independent, so we're run by the members. So the members who are the angels, the angel groups, it's our role to represent them and do what they want us to do to support them. So we do lots of events to help them build better connectivity. Mm. We run an online investment platform which helps completely for free, which allows them to share stuff with each other. We do uh, lots of research. We've got a big piece of research coming out um, on Monday, in fact, cool. which is the, the next um, British Business Bank survey we do with those guys to around the angels, around angel investing. So you, if, if, if you're listening and Angel Investment Network will almost certainly be sending out an email um, about it, won't you, Ed? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To support the research. And we do a lot of government, we do a lot of work with government too. So we... we yeah, do, do, you, do you go and get a seat at the table to... We lobby, we change, right, you lobby, we yeah. fix, we saw where we need to. We've got a round table with Bayes coming up next week. We've had a number of round tables with them as well. We work to solve the issues that are there for the industry and, and try to fix them. And that's kind of our job. So mm-hmm. we're doing lots of work around diversity at the moment. We've got, yeah, a, we've got a number of, um, of events and um, pieces of work that we're doing to help grow the number of women who are investing. Mm. 48% of the UK's wealth is with women, but only 10 or 15% are actually angel investing. So there's a, there's a huge disparity there, which we're trying to sort out. Are you, uh, what, uh, what are you finding while trying to sort of engage in that process? Like what, what is holding people back from um, or having more female investors? I think it's, I mean, we work quite, it's a, it's, we did a big, a big piece of research, which is funded by um, some European Commission money actually to find out what the barriers are. And there's a whole host of reasons as to why. 
One is an educational piece. Yeah. Women just aren't, res- they're not being made aware of it, either through their IFA, their financial advisors, aren't really telling them about angel investing because they don't think it's for them. It's They have a perception that women are more risk averse and won't be interested in angels. Um, I think another thing is financial services, the financial industry in the UK and insurance and legal is a huge industry for the UK. It's always been, we're one of the world centers for all those, for insurance, for finance and for and for law. Um, and those ecos, those industries typically understand equity. They get it, they know investing, they know finances, and it's mostly men. Mm. I don't know what the stats are, but at senior levels, I, su- I suspect there's a, there's a lot of guys. And so you'll find that they, they make money, they do very well in their industry, and they have some money to invest, and they are naturally averse. They, they are naturally inclined to, they, they understand this kind of um, this piece as well. Whereas women tend to be making money in, in more creative industries. Not always, absolutely not always. There's some amazing women doing some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, in the main, they tend to be in, in more creative industries. It could be where, where, where there's not constant and natural exposure to early stage and venture and high risk investing. And presumably that has a knock on effect for the, the number of female entrepreneurs. It does. And is that something that you guys concern yourselves with? We concern so ourselves with it, but there are a lot of others doing it too. We're yeah. a small trade body. So we've said, look, we are going to, one of the ways that we can help support more women entrepreneurs is by having more women investors. So yeah. we're going to focus on women investors. Um, yeah. We do quite a bit of work with Innovate UK and others around diversity and supporting women entrepreneurs. We, When we have run pitching competitions or training events, we do a lot around um, helping to support women specifically to make sure that they can they get the support that they need to be able to, to raise investment too. So we do quite a bit there, but we, as a as a small trade body, we're let's focus on the investor mm-hmm. side of things and mm-hmm. try and fix that part of it and let others deal with the entrepreneurs directly. And so is it an education piece then? Huge education and awareness, to be honest, and it's a long-term game as well. It's 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 going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult to rush because, as you've said, beer, beer and Partners were started 30 years ago and yeah. that gave groups of, of wealthy men a chance to immerse themselves in that environment for, for decades mm. before it became what it's become today. Mm. And we're expecting it to happen within sort of two, three years. And no. we need to catch up, but I think it's just going to have to take time because, as you say, with the exit starts going to come through for seven to 11 years. So even if female investors invest today, they're not going to see if it was worth their, their risk for maybe a decade for so. doing it and then also talking about their successes when they do get the success right. coming through absolutely so it is a long term game I'm not expecting any overnight things but as a trade body our role is to, is to chip away at that is to fight those good fights there's still I think there's still more education to be done on making people aware of SEIS and EIS as well I still yeah. speak to people in the city who don't know what that is so that always surprises me um, yeah <laughs> yeah I mean our risk, yeah absolutely I mean maybe they're not then also deploying into early stages when they get to understand that I mean we found that 86-90% of investors are using that scheme as well so mm-hmm. Um, it's a phenomenally successful scheme to, for those who are deploying in this stage. I mean, they're not, you're not, not going to use it if you can. Um, it's to the point where yeah. it's actually scary if it got taken away. Yeah. Another thing I saw, I saw an interesting stat where actually there's quite a lot of comp- a lot of the businesses don't understand EIS and SES and aren't familiar with it, particularly those uh, um, in different outside of the outside of London uh, and the Golden Triangle. They don't really get, they don't really understand angel investing as much as well. So there's a big educational piece around for the companies too. Do you find actually on that note that you spend a long time, a lot of time, supporting groups and organisations outside of London? Yeah. Because I guess the, the London ecosystem is yeah, really so well we've developed. Got a, so we've got, so we've got, um, we've got a number of things that we are focusing on. One is around diversity and improving diversity, not just gender diversity, but other diversity too, um, to its truest sense. But we also look at um, the regional disparity. I mean, seventy percent of the equities deployed in in companies and businesses based in basically the Golden Triangle, mm. you know, that kind of Cambridge, Oxford, London's kind of area, but 70% of the businesses are outside of that triangle. Yeah. So there's mm. a huge mismatch. And they all qualify two. for SES and EIS. They all qualify for SES and EIS. <laughs> and um, sometimes regional funds. Um, there's a, there's a, there are a lot of regional funds out there and we've actively yeah. worked with helping to deploy and, 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 and get them out there. I mean, the regional angel investment, um, regional angel program by BBB has just announced its first group where they've got a hundred million pound pot to invest and deploy alongside angel groups that are based in, in and outside of London and the, uh, of the Golden Triangle, which is, you know, it shows the government can see the need for more early stage investing outside of that area. Um, and it's a big issue for us. We need to make sure we have amazing businesses from across the UK accessing the capital that they need in order to grow and be the, you know, the SMEs, which are and hopefully bigger, but well, SMEs. Well, big the, tech, tech migration, for instance, up to Manchester. I know a lot of people push their yeah. teams up to Manchester because it's cheaper. And so there'll be naturally ideas that spin out of places like that that, that need local funding. They don't need to be funded by people and in London. And it isn't there. Bristol is another am- amazing example. You've got Graphcore. We've had some amazing stuff happening around bioscience as well. The guys at Xylo exited 
after four years for 650 million quid. Some, wow. some very bright lads who came out of out of the university there and, and, and have done incredibly well. There's a there's a huge number of, and this is what we're seeing, we're seeing an explosion of, techn- of, of technology clusters across the UK. You know, some great things happening across, ha- happening across the country. In reality, a lot of angel investors tend to invest quite locally. Mm. Um, they tend to, 70% of the time, they stay within their own home region. And if, for all these businesses, um, often the only form of funding available to them because they are not trading is angel money. Even the grant funding that they, they can receive has to be matched with angel. And so even the, the government-backed funds are often matched with angel. So you'll find a lot of the, the regional funds are there to be matched alongside other investors. And so if you don't have those investors on the ground, not only can you not get the money you need, but you can't unlock the cash that's already been put there for you. So it's so the investors really are a really important part of the the kind of funding ecosystem for the whole of the UK. Are you pretty encouraged by what you're seeing from your efforts? Yeah, we are. It's again, it's not a, an easy thing. Um, also, I'm I've been in London. I've been in London for for all my life, um, for most of it anyway. And so it's it is very different to to going out into Manchester, into Newcastle, into other areas of the UK, because it is just, there's just nowhere near as much out there in terms of investors, in terms of community as you have in London. I mean, it's it's a very different place. Um, but I think the work that we've been doing so far has started to pay off. We've got many more investors now engaged and doing more out in Bristol, up in Manchester. We opened, um, we've now got six angel hubs across the UK. An angel hub is basically a co-working space that investors can use and drop in and access. And we run mm. workshops and training workshops about how to be an angel investor. So we've now got six, we've got, we're, in, we're, in, we're in, we're just about to go into Newcastle, we're in Manchester, we're in Leeds, we're in Bristol, we're in Belfast. We're also in Cambridge and London for, for some of our other, you know, um, some angels that we already know. And we're looking at expanding that out, which really helps to, to put angel investing on the map within those regions and to help galvanize and grow more investors around around those places um, to hopefully support more companies. You mentioned earlier that you like to encourage investors to invest as groups. Yeah. Is that part of the message that you're promoting to these people? Absolutely. And like, how, how does a syndicate get formed? Um, good question. How does a syndicate, syndicate get formed? Normally it's someone has, it normally comes from one person. They've made some money, they might have exited a business, they've sold their own company. And they're thinking, well, you know, actually, I started my business from angel funding, and I want to start doing the same and give back. Um, and then they start to chat to their friends and those others who are doing pretty well for themselves and have built up a bit of wealth. And they go and they take it from there. And they think, well, actually, yeah, we should all do something that'd be interesting. Well, actually, I made my money exiting a business in this certain sector, so why don't we have a look at that? I'm, I think I'd be really good at spotting a good business mm. in that sector, and I think I'd be really good at helping them, giving them, giving that I've made a load of money there and I know a lot of people. Um, so let's kind of do something around there, um, and it kind of starts from there, I guess. It's a bit of an idea and a bit of a bit of a passion. It's, it's quite a certainly earlier on. It's definitely a hobby. You know, it's a bit mm. of a hobby approach. Mm. It's not like straight in there, professional deployment of capital and managing and you know managing risk and etc. It's not. It's 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 about having fun and giving back no, and enjoying like- yourself in the process. And there's a lot of that. I think our role was to help them professionalize to make sure they get good returns. Yeah, because they get good returns, they put it back into angel investing. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of an, it's a, the research shows that the more, there's some really interesting research, it shows that the more investors, the longer they've been investing, so the more experience they have in investing, mm. the more they invest. So those who've been investing for more than five years invest significantly more of their capital than, than those of less than it. So, so the more you do it, the more you do it. Yeah. The interesting thing is that when they make exits, a very large portion of that money you, that, that, that you have a, as a return goes back into angel investing. So you kind of, the more you do it, the more you do it, the yeah. more you do it. <laughs> is that because so, of the capital gains? It's because they, it's not a tax thing, it's because they love doing it. It's because it's exciting. They've made, it's like a, you know, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to get involved in. When you have some successes in that space, you want to carry on doing it. So, so we find that edu- by educating investors, they'll, they'll, they'll be more confident to deploy more. By making sure, by educating them, they'll be, have a better chance of getting good successes and returns, they'll be able to deploy more. So, Because mm. um, you've done this, um, I think, is it a video course or is it a course called How to Be an Effective? Yeah, the Effective Angel Investor, effective yeah, angel. which we're doing. Yeah, so we got, so that's, that's, that's another way in which we're trying to help build and grow angel investing across the UK is, is through that educational piece. Yeah. And it's an eight hour course, six to eight hours with lots of about 21 lead angels who've all been very successful in their own in their own um, in their own lives, um, talking about their story of angel investing, how they do it, going through how does the tax breaks work, how how can you get involved in this space, the do's the don'ts. So hopefully de-risking it for some people anyway. So that's been going for about a year now. We've had about 160 investors, if not, I think yeah, probably about 
in fact nearly 200 now um, completing the course. Which is great because there'll be the spread of word of mouth from each of those investors as well who will then seek to educate people they also talk to. What I find pretty interesting about what you're doing is there is a, a, a belief I have that like a large number of angel syndicates can offer a genuine alternative to VC, I think. If there's enough of them and they can formalize and they can be pulled together. Some, some of the people are, are pulling together you know, a million quid pretty easy. Yeah. And, and that's a very powerful alternative to... There are three or four groups who are deploying over £30 million per annum yeah. into early stage companies as an angel group. Um, yeah. That's some seriously big hitter. If you look at an average VC fund, they probably deploy, what, 30 40% of their fund. You know, they're, com- you know, they're competing with a £100 million fund, and they're, but they're deploying £30 million every year. It's new, fresh money. They haven't got to re-raise a fund. Um, so, you know, there's guys like Eviction Investment Partners who are doing a huge amount over their bit, bit later stage. 24 Haymarket, Archangels. Yeah. There's quite a few who are seriously... Uh, Cambridge Angels, of course, who are doing a, a lot of investment too. Um, that is absolutely competing with, or and often alongside VC, alongside yes. uh, VC funds. And and they also, because they're out there in the market, get access to the deals probably earlier than some of the VCs, or they're willing to invest often earlier than the VCs. So they invest in the SOS EIS run, and they're still there when it needs to go through the next stage of the journey. So it's it, it's interesting between them and corporate VC and current VC and where they're all playing. It's it's definitely moving around and changing, and will continue to change. I think. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good, really good point. I think one of the things we worry about, again, coming back to making sure that angel investors get their returns, is ensuring that the VC funds that come in and, and, and get involved, that that preference share stack doesn't become too ominous where the angel investors who are actually taking the real risk at the beginning don't get their returns. Um, so there's a bit of an issue there sometimes when VCs are, are trying to do too much to, to hedge the risk off a little bit. Well, I imagine Seed Legals will be playing their part in educating entrepreneurs on the way through the term sheets. Yeah, to understand where those hiccups yeah, come. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we do quite a bit as well because we want to make sure that the entrepreneurs also retain good equity all the way through. Don't take, don't give away too much equity because you're not incentivized to take it through. So, so yeah, absolutely. Do you see any any real common term sheet um, no nos that you think are, are real issues that people are putting? I think we do. In, from the entrepreneur point of view, the, I think I think entrepreneurs tend to go in with a pretty straightforward, reasonable term sheet. I think investors sometimes get a bit try and get a bit cute to try and hedge off too much of their risks. Things like being able to push a company into liquidation if they're not hitting their returns purely so that the investor can get, can liquidate and get their EIS tax mm. break. I've seen some of that come through. I've seen investors trying to take too much control of the business. Why bother? Leave it to the entrepreneur to, to run and grow their business. Don't try and do it yourself. If you want to do it yourself, go do, and do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do that? Put the money in, let them do it and, and, and have the sleepless nights and eat bees and toes for, for three or four years. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a few things that we do see that are more common, but it's I think generally speaking, we see you know the angels are pretty a pretty reasonable bunch in the, in yeah. the main, um, which is good. But I think there is you should absolutely read up if you're looking if you're an entrepreneur or an investor deploying or an entrepreneur raising money. You should absolutely read up and what should be right. The, the the kind of the rule of thumb we apply. There's loads of ways to, to, to from a valuation point of view. It's just you give away roughly about about twenty percent at each funding round, and your funding rounds de- defined by how much money you can probably ra- reasonably raise from investors, yep. and that sets your, that sets your valuation. That's a kind of a good starting point from which to to move up or down on, really. And we see, you know, we do see people trying to take too much. You know, forty percent. I've seen someone trying to take sixty percent of a business for some investment. And I thought, why? Why on earth would a as an entrepreneur you give that away? And why as an investor would you want that responsibility? Um, and how are you gonna? The big issue there is when an entrepreneur grows and, and, and starts to look for institutional funding, the VCs won't get involved because there's not yeah. enough in it for the entrepreneur. So, so yeah. And so in terms of, of getting money from the government and your, your involvement with them, is that a decision by the UKPWA to say, look, we are going to be impartial, we don't want government money, or is it government not providing the funds, or, or will that be something that happens in the future? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's about we were... There was no conscious decision. The way it founded, actually, and Beer and Partners was, one, was probably the first member of UKBAA. It was actually founded by by another angel group, um, by Angel Capital Group, which run um, London Business Angels many, many, many years ago, and we joined them as well. It was actually it was actually the industry coming together in its own right. We thought, let's come together, let's make something happen. Um, I think it was originally managed to raise a bit of money to get it going, and off it went from there. We've just never really needed government handouts, to be quite honest, to make us go. But I think also it's nice to have that impartiality and to stay... You know, it's very hard to, you know, it's very hard to, to lobby and fight against a government that pays your bills in a way, um, mm. if that makes sense. So, because you've got, you've got strong ties to the mayor of London, for instance. Like you guys yeah. are in there in the, um, I can't remember what the building's called, but you know, you're, you're there. Yeah, city hall. Yes, we yeah. do. I mean, so, so yeah, we do, and that's but that's rather than it being there, it, it's it's about doing 
it's about raising awareness and building profile for yeah. those that need it. So we're doing, so we do we do work at the Maryland in, in it's called Tech Invest. It's a really good program. Great event. Um, yeah. So it's all about showcasing some of the best tech talent that London has mm. in and around the the city and kind of showcasing that to investors. And we've raised a lot of investors, invested in a lot of companies, and, and done a lot of support for them as well, which has been amazing. Um, and actually, we're looking at extending that and expanding that outside of London as well, which I think is is a great thing. And it's it stands. The whole point of that is about building awareness of great businesses doing great things. What is Sadiq's um, position at the moment on startups? I mean, is he excited? Is he- it's hugely supportive. He's got the yeah. new London fund that's come out. There's also, I mean, from from we, we do quite a bit with with his office and and also the the deputy the, the, for business Rajesh Agarwal, and they're, they're hugely supportive of the work around here. I mean, they understand that um, London is an incredibly important hotbed of innovation. I think it was ranked number three in the world for starting a business, which is phenomenal given our size, uh, although a bit lower for scaling a business, but but, but it's, a, it's an amazing city and they want to maintain that. What's the prevailing view, if there is one, on Brexit mm. and how Brexit is going to affect that? Uh, it already is, in a way. There's been a bit of a slowdown in investment, although not huge amounts, but people just kind of like, they're sitting on the fence a little bit. We're seeing investors are going a little bit de-risking themselves by investing bigger amounts in, uh, at later stages. So yeah. rather than doing small amounts in the, in the risky stuff, they're being a bit more risk averse. We're seeing that as a bit. I think one of the issues was always being about access to talent as well. Are we going to retain and maintain the talent? I mean, if you go to any pitching event in London, yeah. you know, half, probably two thirds of the founders are, are from you know European. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not English. Um, they're, and they're amazing. They're phenomenal. Yeah. We're attracting such amazing people from across Europe because of our ecosystem and because of our, you know, our environment for funding and supporting and growing great businesses. And if that was to be significantly, I mean, it's going to have a, I think that's, that's my, that was always our biggest worry. Mm. I think when you look at the tech teams as well, probably even more. Like huge. the amount of, of huge. yeah, people who are rushing, you know, it's, it's but all parts of the, you know, the, it's amazing. I mean, you know, it's kind of a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit cheeky, but I think London does really kind of strip some of the cream of the crop from across Europe around uh, yeah. the talent for, for growing, building businesses, whether it's a tech talent or whether it's, you know, CEO talent, but, um, which is a little bit unfair, but that is going to be, it already has been hampered, in fact, by this, um, by, by, by this, which is... Will there be a contingency plan, do you think? Is Who it? knows? No. So you guys... <laughs> is there just, any plan? No one knows. <laughs> no one knows. And, and would you see it... Um, an environment where some of these some of the tax incentives will continue to change and evolve something we talked to spitball in the office was maybe that if we really want to be seen as the home of sustainability or sdgs that maybe we'd up the seis allocation for something that was sustainably accredited to maybe 200 250k to try and further incentivize you know green transitions like can you could you see government being willing to make any further changes, or are they? I think they would. Exp- yeah, I think so. I think we, I, I often get asked, "Is EIS and SES going to stand, going to stay?" And I think it absolutely will. It's, yeah. it's, it's the darling of, of, of. I think we, people are jealous of our tax structure. Will they increase SEIS? It's something that we're interested in doing. I think the 150 SEIS cap has led to lots of small funding rounds. People, you know, doing their first funding round at 150k just for the tax break, which isn't enough to to get you to the next milestone to raise another round. So um, we're interested in whether it's linked to a green agenda or not. I think it's interesting in extending the the size of SEIS to to 250. We've had a few members who are interested in doing that. So I think we'll. Again, as a trade body, it's one of the things that we will work on. We'll put together a paper and take it to take it to the right people. I think it'd be highly effective. Yeah, absolutely. Extending. I mean, it's it's still incredibly high risk companies. They're, only, they're, no, they're no more than two years old. So this money is going into businesses that are that are that are seriously innovative and, and doing some great things and need that cash as well. Well, even if there was an interim at forty percent between thirty percent at EIS and you know, and it just was allowed for three hundred k. I don't know what the maths would be on it, but you know, just something to keep it the momentum because because fan. It's we need a new acronym. I don't have one. <laughs> I don't have one. That's the where you come middle in. Middle enterprise investment <laughs> maybe. maybe. Um, because yeah, I, I think we're, we're getting all the information, the data, and seeing it all play out, and it's becoming very stock in terms of a funding round, it'd be 150K for give or take 10%. And so it's like one to 1.5 million. It's becoming a very sort yeah. of bo- you know, boilerplate uh, approach to fundraising. And I think it's, it's maybe a little brittle in that sense, but it's a good, it's a good enough incentive. Yeah, I think so. I think 150 isn't enough to get, the, the, the fact of the matter is your funding round is, there's, it needs to get you, it needs to be sufficient 
to to grow the business and achieve enough to be able to raise another funding round, normally twice the size of the one you've just done. Mm. So your, your next one will be will be three hundred. After that, it's six hundred, etc. And you keep on going until you're ready for Series A. And you're, and you're tracking pretty well in terms of KPIs, but um, you know that's what it comes down to. And one fifty doesn't really get very far. I mean, it's still friends and family round, to be honest. Mm. Well, Seed Eagles do they have the, the instant investment facility, whereby in the terms for your say one hundred fifty k round you can set an additional investment term for like to the next 12 months where you can continue to accept money mm-hmm. without opening a new round and it goes to on, on, on the same terms yeah and yeah yeah so that was something that that, that, that the trade body actually originally uh, lobbied for so before really? you had to close your you had to spend 75 percent of your SES money before you yeah. could even raise eis and go for the next round um and draw that down so we actually lobbied for a straight transition from SES to EIS, so that you could actually do that. But I guess the next step is probably just in extending SEIS as well. Mm. In terms of in terms of the landscape as you see at the moment, how do you feel about our exits? How do you feel about where we're going to continue to be strong and perform? I think we're going to be. I think the UK. We are way ahead of the field, certainly for Europe for fintech. And it's always been a very strong piece for us because we're great from technology point of view. We've got some great minds coming out of our universities, clashing with a, the, one of the financial centres of the world in London. Um, so fintech, we're incredibly strong with, and that's always going to be, and it's growing now into reg tech and other areas too. So I think that's always going to be a strong sector for the UK. Life sciences, again, deep tech, we're very well known for as well. I, um, IQ, IQ just raised a, a massive deep tech fund as well, which is really great, but mm. driven by some of the some of the talent coming out from our universities as well. So, so I think they're going to be key areas. For, to look out for. Okay. Just going back to the to the angel investor side, if I if I've made some money and I want to get into angel investing and maybe I live in somewhere regional, mm. what would be what would be a first step and then a second step? Or good good first steps? A good first step would be getting in touch with UKBAA. I mean our role is to help give you some a better insight and understanding about how to angel invest and how to not do it in a way where you're going to lose all your money in a ridiculous way. But we're also helped to introduce you to the right people on the ground. So mm-hmm. local angel groups that you may not have heard of, yeah. um, accelerators, incubators, doing cool stuff down there just to kind of get you in touch with other people, meet up with other investors. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to build up a friendship network when you're investing because uh, it can be a tough old job. So having others that you can bounce ideas off is a great is a great asset too. So that's what we'll, we're, you know, we're, we're a good first step. Yeah, it sounds fun, the idea of sort of meeting up as a group, maybe absolutely. once every three months with a bunch of like-minded chums yeah, to, absolutely. Yeah. just to chew through some, some deal flow and... Put some entrepreneurs through their paces yeah, as well exactly. and see how they get on, yeah, yeah absolutely. Be yeah, a dragon for a be day. Be a dragon for a day, <laughs> although hopefully a lot nicer. Be an angel dragon. Be an angel, an angelic-like <laughs> dragon for, a, for an hour. Yeah. Um, and do you find that they, they have these social aspects to your angel hubs? Yeah, the angel hubs, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, absolutely they do. And I think it's also about, it's also using as a centre for, for for events, for education too as well. So it's also about learning and about getting deals done, not just it's not just sitting around drinking drinking free beer, which is always tempting. Hmm. Yeah, because I think the, the presence of angels in the area also will take hopefully some young entrepreneurially minded kids um, and give them a direction to steer their education towards or feel that they have opportunities outside of just you know maybe whatever they've grown up into so I think I think that'll be really important in transitioning young people in those areas as well hopefully yeah I mean it's angel investors are not just about the money they're also about the, the experience the expertise and the support so it's not just about and that comes back to that whole making sure there's investors locally because they're investing and supporting local businesses if they're not in the same area they're not going to come and you know they're not going to be able to meet you for a coffee and chat through and sit on your board and look after you and go so we're, we're quite big on on angels purely because they also bring the expertise and advice and guidance and help these young entrepreneurs to, to grow and to thrive can you see us ever Rivaling the envy of, of Silicon Valley, San Francisco? Uh, yes, I can. Maybe not to the scale, but proportionally. I mean, for a start, we did about £6.9 billion in equity um, this year, which is a record. We've grown 70% in two years. Mm. Our growth rate is outstripping that of Silicon Valley as well. We're doing some amazing stuff in the UK. We're still very small, um, but we definitely punch above our weight, certainly. Um, but America's got at least 10, 15 year jump on us and they've got a lot of exits and a lot of noise out there. So mm. we'll, I don't I don't know. I think you'll find we do very well for our size as a country. Um, <laughs> we do pretty some pretty good stuff there. I think we are from a kind of, you know, from an exit and growth point of view, if you look at the 
overall returns in equity again but US versus Europe it's that they're converging they're averaging the same um, so we're actually doing really well the difference is our spread of losses and wins are much tighter so we have smaller wins but we also have a lot smaller losses because we're not um, we're not being as bullish in our investing um, at equity stage so it's quite interesting but they are converging and I think they might actually have converged I'm not sure what we are now yeah, because China's market's picking up a pace. But then there's also curiosities in the American market as well, like the, the WeWork IPO that may now not be an IPO because it's seen to be so heavily inflated. So within that envy, well, there's also... The price, weren't they? They're going to uh, do it for $20 billion or something. Yeah, yeah, so that they can get these massive exits, but at what cost? Because it's, ultimately if it's been passed on to the, the people who pick up these post-IPO shares and then just get screwed, mm. it's, I guess, you're just passing it on to the retail investor to make mm. a buck for all the, the people who got in there first. Mm. Which is not longevity. That's yeah, we're not as big at IPOs over here. We, a lot of the, generally speaking, the exit, certainly for an angel anyway, is through. It's not through IPOs, it's more through trade sales mm. being snapped up through there. Um, that tends to be much more common for, 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 for the industry that we see. Well, especially after the AIM market wobble back in 2013 yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah which I think eroded some confidence. Have you made any investments other than the ones that came through Beer and Partners? Subsequently, only yeah. a couple, but small ones, because mm-hmm. it's um, um, I've got three pain. expensive, expensive pain. business, it's expensive business, and I've got three young children, so uh, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're even more expensive business than <laughs> yeah. a, a house in London, which is even but a better return, but a but a but a, a better but an excellent return for my children, and hopefully they'll put me through my nursing home when I'm older. That's the whole, <laughs> and or and or let me a kidney or two when I when I burn through the ones I've got now. So that's the plan anyway. Um, but yeah, I have yeah. We're mindful of your time, so should we? Yeah, let's do the, let's do the, let's do the the dose. So do you have a prediction for the future from us, for us? A general prediction for the future, I reckon, uh, in 10 years' time, I think we'll still be going to Brussels begging for an extension to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, <laughs> to Brexit. I think that's going to be happening for, for, for 100 years. That's life a, now. It will be, that is our life. Presumably, life. Be just... there'll be like a pageant based in 200 years' time. We'll be wondering, why do we have this, this strange thing where we all travel out to Brussels and ask for some kind of extension to, and then retract to Brexit, and then... whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we'll be doing that for, for a long time. I think, um, but I think for, from an industry point of view, I think we'll see more verticalization from an investment point of view. So mm. more angels, more investors focusing down on sectors they know well rather than being kind of generalists uh, and we've seen like Green Angel Syndicate who are another mm. another angel group who are, yeah. fo- who, who are focused as a f- number that we've helped form as well so we'll see that which is good I think we'll see more professionalization for angels and angel groups as well which is great um, we're obviously very encouraging for that and we've seen this growth in guys like 24 Haymarket Archangels and many others besides who are who are deploying some serious capital and managing it just like a VC fund, but still bringing in all the benefits you get from having lots of angels engaged as well. So I think we'll see some some interesting stuff. Do you think with the, with more exposure, like smaller investments, more portfolio investing, more data points collected and more people active, that it becomes more of a genuine asset class? Yeah. I that do. we can rely on I for do. Returns. I think it's still very difficult to track all that. All that. I, I, I do. I genuinely do. And it is actually a genuine asset class, to be honest. It is. But as you say, sometimes it's, 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 the story it's goes, it's very by emotion. But yeah. it's, I believe, it is. with the amount of data points we collect at AIN, that it stands to reason that this could be a genuine asset class, which could be tracked, which we can tighten the spread on because we're getting more information. Yeah, we're seeing that. And, and online investing is helping that massively. I mean, we, there is... Massively, um, I mean, you see all the all the investment platforms. They know exactly what it was bought for and what it's currently valued at, although it's on paper, so they can track those data points as well. And same for you guys. And that's definitely helping to fuel. The more data that we get, the more we can we can we can move towards it. It's still difficult. Mm. I mean, we still. I think um, some of the guys like Bohurst track a lot of the equity deals, but I think only half of it is is disclosed. So of, the, of that six point nine billion, only about three and a half billion was actually tracked and they know and it's been disclosed and they know what it is the rest is undisclosed equity unknown could be anything from anyone to anywhere how can it be undisclosed though because it's not been made public so you can't track it and you can only get some certain amount of information from the company's house um and so there's still a long way to to go you had to there's only so much you can get from it so a lot of the time you'll see a lot of the deals being done it's unknown investors undisclosed investors unknown unknown so it's there's a long way to go in gathering more data about who's deploying where into what um in my view, we're only we're only well we're only halfway there. It sounds like from 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 Bohurst's point of view, but um, mm. I mean they're doing a phenomenal job to track what they do, and and they do get some good data on the stuff that isn't disclosed, but it's still a way to go. Yeah, yeah. Because, because we see a point where we need to couple up with Bohurst to give them transparency over our part of this, you know, the the yeah. value chain. And so until that's done, for instance, we yeah. can give them loads Hugely. of points. Yeah, the big issues that we see is a lot of our angel members and groups they're not they're not telling anyone about it, so they're not being attributed to the deal. So it's just going in as unknown. So we all have to help and give in this data um, to really help build a better picture of what's what's actually happening and to help, as you as you put it, become a, a viable asset class. Mm. 
What about a book, resource, or tool that that you found useful? Uh, Venture deals. Mm. As a book. Have you guys? Amazing. Have you, has mentioned that on the sh- on the show? No, yeah, they're first. Not. Venture deals. Well um, done. It's a first. It's amazing. It's, ama- it's, it's amazing. It's unreal. So good. I've got it on audiobook as well. Actually, who's it by? It's quite dry on the audio. I've got to say. Is um, it Brad or? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's phenomenal. So basically, if you're, it's a bible. It's like a literary. It's it will teach you everything you need to know about. Well, certainly American VC investing, yeah. but it's definitely a, it is very similar to the UK as well. Um, and it tells you the ins and the outs of VC funds, how they work, how they deploy preference share stat everything about it so yeah. i'd absolutely recommend oh, cool. if you're looking to raise a funding round you may not need it so much for an angel investment point of view but certainly if you're coming close anywhere near a vc round um then i'd be looking at venture deals so if you're an angel out there and you're a you're, you want to run and deploy a bit of vc fund on your own get in have a look at that it's amazing so it's venture deals brad feld yeah that's it's right on amazon yeah. Yeah. Buy. you can either have it in ebook you also get access to the online resource and download templates for yeah. for, for, for stuff as well so i thought it was really good i really enjoyed it actually, actually that's a short one and there's a there's a venture hacks or something which is also like a long similar thing but it's yeah it's an unbelievable resource what about the best advice you've ever been given uh, I guess it was probably when I was, as a good mate of mine actually, and I still stick to it, uh, is, is especially if you're a startup or an early stage, or and if you're a bit younger as well, I'm an old man now. Um, um, you, keep, you keep oscillating between saying that you're young and you're yeah, old, you're well, not sure. I feel old, like I've got three young boys, um, so I feel very old uh, and broken, but I think um, the big piece of advice I've given is probably just, is just say yes. If you're starting a business or growing something, there's a lot out there that's gonna be daunting and worrying, and you're gonna think, oh, should I do this? I've been asked to do this, or I've been told to do that, or I've been given this opportunity, should I do it? Or I don't think I've got the strength or the skills to do this, or I, I think I'm up to it. The, the, the rule of thumb is just say yes and worry about that afterwards and just work it out. Um, yeah. That's been a big thing for me, actually, is is if yeah. you get things like, oh, I don't know if I can do a podcast, I'm not sure about it at all, and um, Ed gets in touch, just say yes, that's it. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. And you've enjoyed it, you look like you've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's good fun. Yeah. I think it's all good fun. It's just chatting to you lads anyway. So exactly, fun. exactly. Um, I'm, I'm gonna insert a little question here. So grand ambitions for maybe where you are personally in your career in the next 10 years would you go into government uh, I don't know I don't think I'm I don't know I don't want to go into government I don't know it's a very different world I would say that um, we work with quite a number of people from government and they're amazing but I'm not sure if I've got the mindset I think I'm quite you could just say yes <laughs> I just yes I will I yes <laughs> I will go into government <laughs> and I will run for something important for visiting Brexit each year to deliver no Brexit yeah to go on the Brussels uh, booze cruise to to get our extension yeah exactly that Um, and one final thing we'd like to ask before before we wrap up is if anybody listening could do anything to help you um, on your way uh, what would that be? Uh, well I think you know we are our role is to help build and grow and connect all those that invest at early stages so if you're if you're I guess, um, so we're always interested to speak to people who are investing and who are thinking about investing to give them some insights as to how and where to go. Um, uh, we've got a lot of, we, if, you're, if you're looking for funding, you're more than welcome to go and check out our uh, member directory. It's the most comprehensive list of, of investors in the UK and it's free and it's open. So if you're looking for funding, go and have a look at that as well. Um, uh, yeah, so I think love to hear from people who are investing, deploying, those who are also trying to support entrepreneurs, mm. so accelerators, incubators. We do quite a lot of work with them in, in helping their their um, community to access investors too. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been thank you for having me. Really fun. Thanks, Rod. Cheers, guys. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, audiored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.